This episode of Storylines is brought to you by the Directors Guild of Canada, Alberta District. The Directors Guild of Canada, Alberta District is part of a national labor organization which represents key creatives and logistical personnel in the film and television industries. Formed in 1982, the DGC Alberta District is part of a dynamic group of unions and guilds in Alberta representing directors and many other industry professionals on productions in our province. For more information, visit dgc.ca forward slash en forward slash Alberta. Welcome to Storylines, a podcast brought to you by WIFTA, Women in Film and Television Alberta. I'm your host, Sheena Rossiter. On this week's episode... You're actually a more successful individual when you're happier, and you have a greater success, and you can handle the stress better if you're starting from a place of calm. We're in conversation with First Lady Emily Renner-Wallace. You're kind of the keeper of a lot of, not secrets, but they need to be able to trust you because it's a lot of money, it's a lot of time, and it's also, it's their art. Emily got her start in the film industry right out of high school. At 18 years old, she began working at the Calgary International Film Festival. That opened up doors for her to work on film sets, and Emily has worked her way up. In the union world and with larger productions, you're learning so much at each step that helps you become a really good first AD. She's now an active first AD on sets in and around the Calgary area. Emily was the first AD on the hit series, Winona Earp. Some kids inherit money, others get talent. Me, <laughs> I got a demon killing gun. She worked on the Disney Plus feature film, Togo. Intelligence, stamina, courage, and heart. And she's also been making strides to direct her own short films, too. Emily, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So just to start out, you did get your start. You kind of inched your way into the film industry by working at the Calgary International Film Festival. How did that all come about and what was that experience like? In high school, I worked at a movie theater. It's actually the busiest movie theater in Canada and the 13th busiest in the world. And uh, I was the manager there. One of the other managers worked for the film festival in Calgary and asked me if I wanted to kind of do contract work for the festival. And then kind of over time, each year, I would kind of get a different job and move my way up there. And then it was when I became the production manager for the Calgary National Film Festival that I started meeting filmmakers and talking with them and getting a little bit closer with the local film community. One particular filmmaker offered me a job on a independent feature film that he was making that was a union feature. And I worked as the production coordinator on that film. And that kind of everything kind of took off from there. What was that experience like then? The experience for me was about learning everything very quickly and kind of trying to keep your head down, power through and not make too many mistakes but also be honest with the fact that I was doing a job above my skill level at that time. I kind of took the job not really being prepared for it or even understanding what it was, but knowing that I kind of had the support from the people around me. And it was actually the AD team that was really supportive of me. And when I explained to them that I had never worked on a feature film before and had never worked in the industry before, they were really supportive of me, and together we were kind of able to succeed and created a really good working relationship. 
And it was actually that AD team that gave me my first job as an assistant director. So then what was your first job as an assistant director? My first job as an assistant director was working on a movie of the week, but it was a Christmas movie starring George Went and Shelley Long as Mr. and Mrs. Claus. Please call me Mama. And you can call me Santa. Santos. Santos. Just call me Mr. C. It was a pretty incredible experience, and I learned a lot very quickly uh, in the standard kind of, I think it's 13 days that they take to make movies of the week. And so that was my first experience as an AD, and I was basically learning the third AD job. So in Alberta, that means working at the trailers. They kind of just were giving me some experience, getting me to learn the job so that I could be the third AD on season two of Hell on Wheels. So for people who don't understand what an AD does, an assistant director, what does an assistant director do? And then what's the difference between the first, the second, and the third? I think kind of the biggest mystery about ADs and being an assistant director when you're not one is that when you hear assistant, everybody just assumes that you are the person that gets coffee, kind of the support person as an individual. That would be the director's assistant, not an assistant director. And I remember kind of not knowing that either. Before I was in the industry, I would look at like the credits of a movie and be like, first, second, third, assistant director? Like how many how many assistants does this director need, guys? But um, <laughs> It's actually an entire department within the Directors Guild, whether that's Directors Guild of America or Canada. or um, It's a department on its own, consisting of a first, a second, a third, or in the U.S. they call it a second second. And then you'll have an AD working at the trailers and kind of depending on the jurisdiction, that'll be a TAD or a third AD. And then depending on how big your budget is and how many actors and how much background, you'll have any number of PAs on your team, as well as more third ADs. The first AD in general is the head of department in charge of organizing and prep. When you're in prep, you're building schedules, you're organizing all the meetings, you're chairing all those meetings. And then when you get to actually shooting uh, to production, you're running the set. And then your second AD is your, is your, your point person, your right hand lady or, or man, and uh, they're kind of in charge of paperwork, organizing, uh, making sure people have all of the information that you've uh, organized, um, and is a very different skill set uh, than a first, in my opinion, kind of two opposite jobs. And they're making the call sheets, they're talking with the actors, confirming times, scheduling the pickups, all that. And then uh, your third AD for the case in Alberta, either there's one on set that's your right-hand person on set when you're shooting. And then there's one at the trailers. Uh, and so they're in charge of uh, getting the cast through the works. Okay, so you've worked your way up from third to second to first now. What's that journey been like for you, working your way up that department? Working your way up as an AD, every step is so crucial to being a successful first. I know there's a lot of people that have kind of skipped everything and started as a first AD. But I think in the union world and with larger productions, you're learning so much at each step that helps you become a really good first AD. I found at the trailers when I was working there, I was able to listen a lot and learn a lot just by listening to the first AD on the walkie and seeing when things went good and went bad. And also honing my detail skills because 
I think I am a detail-oriented person and good at lists, but maybe not as good as some of the other second ADs uh, in the world, but honing my detail skills and then taking that into being a second AD. So for you, when you've been on this journey, how important is it to have trust and relationships and how has that helped you grow in your career? Being an AD, you kind of hold a lot of information, whether that's from the crew, from your producers, from your actors, from your director. You're kind of the keeper of a lot of, not secrets, but they need to be able to trust you because it's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. And it's also, it's their art. It's their masterpiece. They're trying to create a piece of art that's going to tell an emotional story for an audience. And they need to trust that they're, that you're going to get them there as an AD. How do you establish a work-life balance for you in this career? To establish a, that work-life balance, you have to kind of make a decision to care for yourself and realize that that's going to make you better at your job to give yourself breaks. Especially in Alberta, there's a bit of a mentality. We all want that next job and we never want to stop working because we're worried if the work dries up. It's not as consistent and as large of a community as places like BC. So a lot of people just snag every job they possibly can. But in my experience, the jobs will come, the offers will be there, and you have to give yourself a break. Have you ever experienced burnout yourself? I have experienced burnout. I was getting started in the industry and I got that first job as a third AD and I wanted to move up and I wanted to learn. I was so hungry because I loved the industry so much. I kept working straight for five years. So I would work Monday to Friday on union shows and then in between shows I would work on my own projects. I would spend my weekends and all of my free time making short films. At the end of five years I was horribly burnt out. Even though I was doing my own passion projects on the side, it takes an emotional toll and you kind of just have nothing left if you don't take time to breathe, have a nice bath, go on a hike, <laughs> pet your dog. <laughs> what did you take away from that experience then? I really had to learn to say no, which was something I wasn't comfortable doing as a human being at the time. And that when I say no, other people I'm not saying no, I'm not being negative. Producers and production managers understood that you say, I need some time to myself for the next couple months. I need a bit of a break. And you're actually a more successful individual when you're happier and you have a greater success and you can handle the stress better if you're starting from a place of calm. So I actually became more focused and better at my job when I allowed myself to give myself breaks. So when you came back, you started working on the film Asteroid Hunters. What was that experience like? And did you feel super rejuvenated and like a new person in your career? I absolutely felt like a new human being. That was one of the funnest sets I had worked on. I find sometimes when you're stressed, you just end up focusing on the job. But I was able to create lifelong friendships and have such a positive experience on set because my attitude was that I wanted to be there and that I wasn't exhausted and just waiting to go home every day and worried about how much sleep I was getting. I was able to commit the time and the energy to have fun and do a good job and create a set that was creative and open. After that, you worked on season three then of Winona Earp. Winona Earp has some serious followers with the Earpers. What was your experience like working on Winona Earp? Some kids inherit money. Others get talent. Me? 
I got a demon killing gun. Crazy runs in the family. Winona Earp is such a unique set for a lot of reasons. It's a bit scrappy. It doesn't have the biggest budget. It has a decent budget. Not no budget, but not the highest budget. So it feels a little bit scrappier sometimes. And I mean that in the way of people are there because they want to be there. You're not necessarily making the most amount of money that you would working on like a feature film. Or everybody that's there wants to be there. And they've chosen to be there because the atmosphere that the cast bring, that the director, uh, Paolo Barsman, bring is full of just heart, family, kindness, and an understanding that every person on set deserves to be there and has a job to do. And if they weren't there, it wouldn't go as smooth as it does. The fans, they constantly send gifts. There's baking showing up to the office. There's presents. There's paintings. There's thank you notes. They'll send us donuts. Having a, a community that supports your television show, like Winona Earp, is like nothing I've ever seen before. It's a special thing to be a part of. You mentioned there that everybody who is on set wants to be on set, and it kind of creates almost like a family-like atmosphere. How important is it to have that good vibe when you're on set to help the production run smoothly? Having a happy crew is one of the most important things to making a day efficient and successful. If your crew is unhappy, unmotivated, and doesn't want to be there, it falls apart. People start yelling at each other. They don't want to work near each other. But when you have that positivity, because everybody has such a specialized job, when things go well, it, uh, it really is inspiring. It makes for a smooth day. Everybody just wants to be a part of it. And you feel like you're working towards a common goal. Everybody is a part of making the art. And it creates a camaraderie that I haven't really seen anywhere else. When you've worked on film sets before, part of your job is to motivate people and keep that crew up. Does that ever wear you down when you're working on a difficult project and you have to be there to motivate other people when it's so challenging? Yeah, it can be really challenging. Sometimes I'll come into work knowing that if I show up and I get on Channel One and I say good morning to everybody and I'm not feeling it, I know that 150 other people are hearing that and they're feeling it too. So I really have to be able to, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time be focused on my job, focused on supporting the team and focused on executing that vision and supporting people by communicating, keeping things moving, like literally moving as in like getting cars going and figuratively as in just keeping the process going. And that positivity and the energy that I bring to set affects ab absolutely everybody. So you really have to be able to put aside whatever's going on at home and focus on creating art that day. You also worked on that feature film, the Disney Plus feature film, Togo. What was that experience like for you? Intelligence, stamina, courage, and heart. Togo was one of my most favorite experiences on set. I'm a big animal lover. I especially love dogs. So coming into work every day and getting to see dogs, work with dogs, and so many different kinds of dogs, whether they were movie dogs or puppies or the sled dogs, and working with the animal trainers, 
is such a positive experience having just that the the animal uh, kindness uh, around it really does make everybody else on set uh, happy as well the amount of travel and the amount of location shooting that we do takes us to some of the most beautiful locations in the world and i think togo really showcased alberta's locations and what you can achieve as a filmmaker not on a sound stage we were never on a sound stage we were all on location and it i think it really shows in the film and how much of a difference does that make? Not only can you see it in the film, but when you're not using a sound stage and you're actually there, how much of a better experience is it for you when you're on set? And also, and then how does that translate into the final film? Shooting on a sound stage for me isn't something that I like to do as much as just a crew member on set. You're going to a studio, it's always a little bit stuffy, a little bit dusty because lots of stuff's moving all the time. And it's a cramped space. Even if you have the biggest studio, they try and maximize it with the amount of sets. And working in a small space just always makes things a little bit more difficult as an AD because you have to keep things moving, making sure people aren't standing in doorways. You just don't have, you're not just breathing the air. But when you get to shoot on location, you're there experiencing the beauty. You almost get the feeling of the emotion that the audience is going to feel when they see those shots. It's really special. Now, you've worked your way up in the assistant director department from third to second to first AD, and now you're looking to direct some films, albeit short films, yourself. What's one project that you're working on right now? I'm currently just in post-production on a short film called God Lady that I directed, written and produced by local stuntwoman Sally Bishop. I describe it as a door-to-door evangelist who finds herself on the doorstep of a demon. That's uh, a project that I was asked to direct whilst working with Sally on a CBC television show called Fortunate Son this past summer. And she had received a small grant from ACTRA to write and shoot the film. And uh, we kind of went from there. And that was a really great experience just to be able to take that next step and kind of understand from a director's perspective what that job is like. I'd seen lots of other people do it before, but taking that role, you really do learn things from a different perspective. And what was the biggest takeaway that you learned from directing? One of the biggest things that I learned was if you have that gut feeling like you don't know or you're going to figure it out when you get to set, it doesn't get figured out. You can keep trying and you can kind of come to a decision. But if you don't figure out what certain things mean to you in prep, for me, that didn't come to me on set. There was a couple things that I was undecided on and that has haunted me. The rest of the process, I feel like I'm still fighting it to this day, working on visual effects and color, still fighting those, not making those decisions in prep and not being ready. So how important is being ready then when you're about to hit record and you're going to start filming on set. This is something I knew very well as a first AD, that prep is so important. You need to think of every possible scenario and every possible thing that might go wrong and be ready for it. Because when you get to set, if you've thought of absolutely everything, then, you know, the weather can come up and they could be a hailstorm and you get shut down, but you're ready for it because you've thought about that. The more that you've organized and the more that you've planned, the more you can deal with spontaneity 
on set. I felt that as a director, when I didn't make decisions and when I hadn't planned, because it happened a little bit quickly, it was it was harder for me to make decisions on set. Right now, we're going through a very unique time in the world with all this COVID-19 and the coronavirus. How do you think that this time in history is going to change filmmaking moving forward? You know, I've thought about this a little bit, mostly just like the craft service table, because <laughs> everybody's got their hands in different tongs and that sort of thing. So I think the crafty table is definitely going to look different on set. As far as television and live television, I think there's a bigger change that we can see happening as far as like the late night TV shows. They're able to work a lot more remotely. But as far as a film set goes, we're all so close. There's so much interaction. The ability to work from home is, I think, a lot less as far as working on set for TV shows and films. I really, I don't know. As far as travel, we might have to bring people in earlier, you know, so that they can be quarantined for 14 days. So that's a lot more expensive. I think hand washing, there's always union rules about having warm water, warm running water with soap available to all crew members at all times. But I mean, sometimes the water gets cold when it's minus 30 and it's a little bit far away and you don't get that opportunity to wash your hands maybe as much as you want. But I think that that's going to get a lot more strict and a lot more serious. Cutting corners uh, money-wise isn't going to be as accessible. And some of the lower budget productions could be hurt by having to spend a lot more money on accessible logistics. And what's this time been like for you? I mean, to be honest, working in the, the film industry, it is kind of all hands on deck. You're working straight for months on end, and then you take a couple months off. So right now, you know, about 30 or so days into being off work. I'm kind of not worried yet. I, that anxiety, I, I don't really have yet because I'm kind of used to this lifestyle. You know, maybe if this continues on for like six months, then that's where it might become antsy. But right now I'm kind of just rejuvenating. Thanks so much for joining us today, Emily. Yeah, thank you. I'm Emily Renner-Wallace, and these are my three tips for starting out in the industry. Number one, fish would never get caught if they keep their mouths shut. This was a quote from Jerry Zeisper, a first AD. And for me, this means a lot of things, working as an AD. Don't talk poorly about people, because not only is it unkind, but you never know who someone's mother, daughter, cousin, partner, or friend might be. It also means that as an AD, you're sometimes privy to conversations and information that does not need to be repeated to anyone else. And tensions can run high when there's a lot of creativity and money and ego flying around in all directions. And sometimes the crew just needs someone to listen to them and make them feel seen and heard. Number two, be the kind of person you want to work with or work for. We spend hours with our coworkers on set, and sometimes we see them for more hours than we see our loved ones. So create and be the kind of person that is kind, respectful, and open to creativity and communication, and you will succeed in this business. Number three, opportunity meets preparedness. If you want to move up, don't wait for someone to offer you the job before you start learning how to do that job. When I was a third AD, I spent my time and my spare time breaking down scripts and reading books about how to be a first and how to be an AD and how to be a good leader. 
And by the time somebody offered me that job uh, as a second and ready to move up and ready to move up as a first, I felt emotionally prepared. I maybe didn't know everything about that job, but I was ready to move up because I took the time to prepare myself as much as I could. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for tuning into episode 10 of Storylines. Storylines is a women in film and television Alberta production that's made possible with the generous support from Alberta's Ministry of Culture, Multiculturalism, and Status of Women. Special thanks to Fava for its support on this production. Thanks very much to this week's guest, Emily Renner-Wallace. The show's executive producers are Elise Graham, Ava Carvinen, Samantha Quance, and Teresa Winnick. Shana Giles is our associate producer and social media coordinator. The original storyline's theme is composed by Aaron Macri and Laura Rabode. And I'm your host, senior producer, and audio technician, Sheena Rossiter. Make sure you tune in every week to catch the latest Storylines episode, where you can hear interviews and get tips from leading women in film and television. You can check us out and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, follow your storylines. We can't wait to see where they lead.